0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: So why wouldn't any father want their child to follow in their footsteps? If if they know it's in a direction that's good for them, why why wouldn't you? No father dreams of the day when their son uh, says to them, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be just like Johnny's dad.
0: If you have children, have you ever noticed your child imitating you, using the same words or expressions, doing the same actions? Knowing that our children can learn to copy us probably makes us aware of our words and actions, right? Some things we may want them to imitate us. Some things maybe not. But what about our spiritual lives? Do we want our children to imitate our walk with Christ?
1: You want the kids to to be Christ-like. If you're trying to be Christ-like, you want the kids to, to, to have the views that you you like the food that you like you, you want your kids to be like you that's 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 not
0: wrong hello and welcome to crosswalk today in our current series Crossroads a study of first and second Corinthians we're going to be finishing up first Corinthians chapter 4 among the things we'll discover there is the Apostle Paul inviting his spiritual children to imitate him
1: the Corinthians, They were deciding for themselves what was right, what was wrong. They were deciding for themselves how they should think of one other person fair to another. The Corinthians had let pride become their guide.
0: The Corinthians were not acting very Christ-like, so Paul challenges them to do better.
1: Paul's about to, this is use an old-fashioned term, Paul's about to take them out to the woodshed.
0: His words, at times, are going to sound harsh, but his motivation is his love for the church and his desire to see all of us get it right. Now, here's Pastor Clay with today's message for us.
1: There were problems in Corinth. We've seen that as we've been making our way through the series called Crossroads. There were problems in Corinth, right? There were problems that were causing conflict, right? Now, let me say this, and then we'll dive into it. As you're sitting there in the midst of whatever struggle or hardship or problem or difficulty that you're having in your life, and you might be tempted to think as we progress through this service today, you might be tempted to think, ah, oh, that's, that's just the church and, you know, getting along and all that kind of stuff. How, how does that help me in, in, in this situation I'm in right now? All I can say to you is, by faith, you must accept the idea that God's word has application for your life where you are. Receive it for what it is. Whatever subject or or, or context that, that we happen to be dealing with, receive it. Ask God's to, for His Spirit to, to illuminate you, to give you insight, to teach you what this means for your life and how you apply this to your life and your life situations and your life struggles and your life victories and all that kind of stuff, okay? So it's not just it's not just going through what happened in Corinth 2,000 years ago or even how we apply it as we're gathered in here. It's about how do I apply it when I go home and what does this mean for my marriage and what does this mean for my workplace and what does this mean uh, for, for my, my struggles, okay? We are in... 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We were there uh, two weeks ago. We started into 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We just got through the first uh, five verses. If you were not here, I'm just going to do just a brief review. And uh, so you can kind of catch up. But you can always go online. You can go to our podcast. You can go directly to our website and watch uh, those messages. You can go back and watch them again and again. Whatever the case uh, may be. And I encourage you to do that because I'm just uh, skimming a couple of items that we discussed more in depth. Last week, okay? Y'all all right? Come on. Y'all ready to join me in, you know? Yeah. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, I started last week with this idea, and then I'll read uh, verses 1 and 2. Within the body of Christ, responsibilities vary, but everybody has some. Everybody has some responsibility. Uh, let, me, let me read to you verse 1 and 2, and it, the text will be up on the screen uh, as Tyler brings it up there as well. Let a man regard us in this manner. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found, say it, trustworthy. Uh, in that, those just first two opening verses there, I went into depth last week and talked about these two terms that Paul uses. That he refers to them himself uh, and really to all of them as, uh, but, but in that context, he's talking about, man, I, I'm, a, I'm a steward. Uh, I'm a servant, but I'm also a steward. And, and if you're here, you know that he uses two different words. That basically, uh, two different Greek words. The New Testament was written in, where he basically says, "Man, I, I'm I'm the lowest. I'm the under rower. What that word word means there for servant. I'm the under rower. The guy down in the bottom of the ship, uh, rowing a ship whose life expectancy probably wasn't too long. Uh, I, I'm that guy. I'm I'm the lowest of the low. The position that nobody would want." But at the same time, I'm a steward, and the steward was the, was the highest of the high on, on the ladder of servants, if you will. The steward was the guy that had been entrusted with the entire uh, household or the entire estate. It, it was under his jurisdiction, it was under his authority, and, and he was like the person. And Paul says, I'm both of those things, and so are you. In other words, the idea is I, I'm, I'm really nothing in this. It's not about me. This is an idea we're going to come back to here in just a minute. It's not really about me, but it's about this thing that I've been entrusted with. Right? This thing that I've been made a steward of, and I've been made a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This great news that God has come to redeem the world. And I and I have to I have to I have to care for this thing and I have to I have to use this thing I have to, for, for God's honor and God's glory and I must treat it as if it is this precious thing because it is. And so yeah, I'm an under rower, but I'm also a steward, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna faithfully execute my office. And and that's the point that Paul starts out with. Yes responsibilities vary within the body of Christ. We understand that. But everybody has some. Everybody has some responsibility in this. Which then leads to the second idea uh, that that, uh, we mentioned a couple weeks ago. And it was uh, this. Within the body of Christ, the position of judge has been filled. That position is already full. In verses 3 and following 3 to 5, he says, but to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you. Now that we 're getting a little insight there we 're finding out that that there 's something going on in corinth that the, that, there, that there's some sort of judgment being passed on Paul and on his his ministry. but to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court in fact, I do not even examine myself for I am conscious of nothing against myself yet I am not by this acquitted in other words he's saying i, I 'm not aware of any blatant sin or anything going on he wasn't saying he's perfect he's just saying i I don't i i'm not but yet that's not that's not what clears me i'm conscious of nothing against myself yet i am not by this acquitted but the one who examines me is who say it the lord the one who examines me the one who examines you the one who examines me the one who examines examines our lives our motives our actions uh, all that stuff is the lord Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. That's kind of a reference back to chapter three and that whole idea of rewards and loss of rewards. But Paul says, and in, and I've said this, and I'll say it again real quickly before we move on, this is not referring to, uh, judging a person's life because of a sinful practice. Listen, that is really going to come up in chapter 5. We're really going to see that in the next chapter. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about not passing judgment on another person's uh, ministry, what they're doing and how they do it, and whether you think that they're qualified to do it, or whether you think that they're as gifted as you might be in that situation, or, or whether your ministry is more important than the ministry they do. Because we all have responsibility, right? We all have a part of this. This, this thing called the body of Christ and locally this thing called cross-culture church and, and how we impact the world, we all have a part in it. And you and I do not have the right to say, well, clearly the setup team is far more important than the greeter team. Because if we didn't set up, we wouldn't have anybody coming in the door. Right? Clearly the preaching is the most important aspect of this and the praise team ha, ha, is, must, is inferior to me because, you understand? That's what he's saying. He said, you don't, you don't, you can, you don't do that. God is the one who will bring judgment on our actions, our attitudes, our, all that kind of stuff, okay? So that, that's, how he, that's how he starts this thing out. Now, I'm going to read, beginning in verse 6, all the way to the end of the chapter, and then break it down. I want you to hear how this moves uh, forward in this. Y'all all right? Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos. Remember that, what was going on? Well, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of the Lord. Remember all that? Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had received it? You're already filled You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless, and we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become, as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. But some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Father, uh, as we continue on and finish up chapter 4 today, I, I do, again, continue to pray. I ask for your spirit to enlighten each of us in our place in life and what uh, life is about for us right now in this moment. Help us to lift off of these pages the uh, truth that I can apply right where I am, right where my, what my needs are, what my trials are, what my difficulties are, what my temptations are. I really believe that there's a word in here for every single one of us because I, I believe in the power of your word to meet us right where we are, to take us to right where you want us to be. Uh, God, would you Speak to our hearts and lives today. Um, uh, as always, I'm honored to be your messenger boy. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. Let's let's pick up the, the first one today, the third one out of, out of chapter four. Uh, within the body of Christ, it looks like this. Within the body of Christ, humility is critical. Coming back to kind of something that started with at the very opening, but within the body of Christ, humility is What? Critical, it is critical. Apostle Paul uh, starts out. He has, I mean, he's already started, but as he continues on here in verse six, and he says, basically, saying, you know, th- those things that I that I talked about at the beginning of this, those those things that I re- referred to uh, about the responsibilities that we each have, and and that that uh, none of us uh, get to get out of this. We all have responsibility in this. And, and, and this idea that he says that, but, but we don't have a right to judge some other person's ministry and what they're doing or, or how they're doing it or what you may think about. It. It, 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 I, I don't. All of that stuff leads me up to this point where I need to say this to you, that this, th- this understanding that is critical to the life of a follower of Jesus Christ and that is that it's not about me. That it's, that it's really, that it's never about me. And Paul says, those things that I said earlier, that's what i have applied to my relationship with apollos in other words paul says i i am I'm, I'm not i'm not thinking that i'm superior to apollos yes i uh, you know if i found at the church and apollos he can i'm not i'm not doing any of that i'm not i'm not claiming that that i'm more superior to apollos i'm not uh, in some way trying to build a case for why you ought to follow me instead of Apollos, because that was, that was the struggle they're having, right? I'm following this person, I'm following that person, and all this division it's causing in the church. He says, what I said to you earlier, that's what I'm applying to this situation between myself and Apollos. And, and I'm doing it, not only because it's the right thing to do, but I'm doing it, and then he says there in uh, the latter part of verse 6, I'm bringing it up on the screen, so that you might learn not to exceed... Watch this. So that you might learn not to exceed what is written. What's he talking about? The, the, he's talking about the word of God. That, that you and your lives might not exceed what is written in order that no one of you might become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Now they had. They already had become arrogant one against the other. And Paul says, I'm, I'm one, I want you to see that I'm applying What I said to me and Apollos, not only because it's the right thing to do, but so that you will not exceed what is written. You guys know this, but I'll say it anyway. The Word of God is our guide. Or it is supposed to be our guide. The Word of God is supposed to be what gives us direction. It is supposed to be uh, what gives us instruction. It is what tells us how to act. It tells us what we should think of ourselves. Right? The Word of God tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Word of God tells us that we are special in the sight of God. But the Word of God also tells us that we're no better than any other person. Young, old, male, female, black, white, pink, polka dotted. We're we're all the same. And no one is better than any other within the whole scheme of this thing. The Word of God tells us that. Culture often doesn't tell us that or it perverts it in some way. But God's been saying that from the very beginning. I created you, you're special, but so is everybody else in this thing. The Word of God instructs us on that. But the Corinthians had exceeded what was written. Isn't that what he said? So that you might not exceed what is written. They had exceeded what was written. In other words, they were deciding for themselves what was right, what was wrong. They were deciding for themselves how they should think of one other person fair to another person. They were deciding for themselves... Uh, why they were superior uh, to another person. Can I ask you a question? Do you ever find yourself doing that? Uh, the, I mean, just the whole idea of, of sometimes not relying on the Word of God for decisions that you make in life, that maybe going your own direction, making your own choices, doing what you feel is right or you think is, is right and, and kind of disregarding what, what the Word of God says. I, th- I just throw that out there because I've said several times during this series, that it is critically important that you and I determine in our lives what our source of truth is. You have to establish that in your life. And you have to continually establish it in your life. Because so-and-so said this, or on the, on the news they said that, or uh, my teacher said this, what does God say? You have to continually do that. The, the Corinthians had let pride become their, their guide. That was what was determining for them. Let me, let me get into that. And so Paul... Spiritually speaking, Paul's about to, this is to use an old-fashioned term, Paul's about to take them out to the woodshed. Paul's about to open a can on the, on the church at Corinth. Now, we'll, we'll get to the motive here in a minute, okay? But listen, there's too much at stake here. There's too much at stake. Remember, Corinth is the crossroads. Everybody's flowing through Corinth. And the gospel is, is, is being preceded. The Corinthians were making a mess out of what should have been a beautiful thing a productive thing, a God-honoring thing, and they were making a mess out of it. And the advancement of the gospel was being threatened by their selfishness, by their pride, by their ego, by their, their self-centeredness, by all of that stuff. And so Paul is is about to take them to task as any loving father would. We'll get to that what that means. So he begins with a series of three questions. He asks them three questions. They're not questions that necessarily that they need to answer because the... Because they, they know what Paul's saying in these questions, okay? He begins with this question. He starts out, he says, who regards you as superior? You can read it there in the text as well. But he says, who regards you as superior? Who, who, who thinks that you're greater? And the answer, of course, is obvious. They do. They, they have already decided that they are superior even, uh, even to Paul at this point. But they're su- certainly superior to those other groups that are following Paul or following Apollos. or follow- uh, who, who decided you're superior? Who thinks you're superior? They do. He immediately follows it up with a second question. What do you have that you did not receive? In other words, this spiritual maturity that you think you have, this, this advancement that you think you have made, oh, where do you think that, that comes from? What do you have that you did not receive? Do you, you think you just, and that's the case, they think they just, they just figured this all out on themselves. And of course, the answer uh, that he comes with is, is nothing. I mean, that's the obvious answer. Nothing that you have did you, did, did you not receive. It came to you through the power of God working through primarily the Apostle Paul and Apollos. Those, those two had been the primary driving spiritual influences in, in the life of the church in Corinth. And he follows that up with a third question. Why do you boast as if you had not received it? You know you got it from us. You know we've been pouring into you. You know we've been trying to advance this work here in Corinth. Why do you boast as if you had not received it? And the obvious answer is pride. Pride. That's what this comes down to. This idea of thinking that I know better, or I'm superior, or I'm better, or I can do this better, and so Paul brings this, and you could call it, what's what I'm calling a convictional comparison between what the Corinthians, how, what the, how they thought of themselves, and, and, and the life of an apostle. These people that, these mature followers of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to read it to you, but I want you to think of this. This is a convictional comparison. He's got a, he's got a purpose in what he's about to do to them. Let me, let me read it. In picking up verse 8, it says, Already you have all you want. Oh, we don't. We, we got this. We got this. Back off, Paul. We got this. Already, you have become rich. Not necessarily talking about. Although they were doing well, they're prospering monetarily. But he's talking about. You 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 you've got it all in Christ, don't you? You have begun to reign, and and that it's like, you're you're already reigning. And then he kind of mm, twists the knife a little bit, so to speak. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. I really wish you were at that point in your life. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? That angels looking in on on our lives and, and what we're doing and that sort of thing. We are fools for Christ, but you're wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You're so strong. You are honored, but... We're dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we enter kindly. When we have become the scum of the earth, we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. By the way, that last phrase there, become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the earth, is uh, is the way the the NIV uh, puts it. In in Greek, the phraseology look at it this way: it'd be like somebody filthy, dirty, taking a bath, being scrubbed clean, and and then when 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 they get out of the bathtub, all the grime, all the dirt, all the stuff remains. And when you drain the water out, all of that stuff remains on the on the sides of the tub, all the all the scum on the sides of the tub. Tub and then and then that 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 scum is is scraped off off of the side of the tub and the apostle Paul says that's what we are, we're like the we're like the scraped off scum on the side of your bathtub. That is a far cry from what the Corinthians were thinking of themselves, in this walk with Christ and how uh, superior they had uh, become and how they had it all uh, together and, and Paul says okay let's do a comparison, look at our lives as apostles, and listen I don't think Paul's not using. He's not exaggerating here, okay? He's not using hyperbole. This was the life that experienced. And I said this a couple weeks ago. All of us have responsibility. Uh, all of us are followers of Christ. But that doesn't mean that all of our responsibilities and outcomes are the same. Not everyone is called to suffer as the Apostle Paul did. Some are. Some are not. But all of us are part of this. All of us are enjoying are, are, are in, in this. And humility is critical if we're going to have success at this thing look at uh, real quick Ephesians chapter 4 uh, therefore I the prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of a calling with which you have been called with all would you say it please humility and gentleness they, they kind of go hand in hand with patience showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace see how humility is critical to, re- to retaining this this unity within the bond of peace not only in here But when you go home, when you go to the workplace, when you go to all these different places, um, look at this one in uh, Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Then one more, Colossians chapter 3, my favorite chapter in all the Bible. So as to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness... Humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You don't have to be a theologian, ladies and gentlemen, to figure out that humility is critical for the life of the church, for the body of Christ. At a previous uh, church where I was uh, serving, we were getting ready to take a trip to uh, Asia, a mission trip to Asia, getting a team together. And I think some of you heard me say this before. We're getting ready to get a team together to go to Asia. And it, it was not going to be an easy trip. It, it, physically, it was going to be a difficult trip. And uh, we were trying to recruit people to go on this trip. And uh, Cindy, uh, i never forget, Cindy approached uh, one uh, lady to try and recruit her to go on the trip and asked her if she would consider going on this. And her response was, oh no, I like my Western toilet way too much. Now, think about that a minute. Because what she has just said is that her comfort in the bathroom is more important than a person's destiny in eternity. Now, you might think, well, okay, but what does that have to do with pride? Just this. There are, there are two types of pride, ladies and gentlemen. There are two types of pride. The first is, if you like fill in blanks, you can do that. The first is what you, what you would call overt pride. It's the obvious kind. It's the one that's just out there. It's obvious. Everybody can see it. Hey, look at me, look what I can do. Look at how special I am. Look, look at this. Look, what, what, da, da, da. It's, it's, it's overt pride. I, I've got it. I've arrived. I'm this. I'm that. That was that really was the Corinthians. Overt pride. By the way, all of us can be guilty of both these types of pride at times in our lives, right? Right? You should see me with a video game. I'm like unbelievable. No. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. I gave up on video games after Pong. Y'all remember Pong? Boom, boom, boom. That was the extent of my video game world. But anyway, overt pride. Okay, that's, yeah, I can see that. That's obvious. That's right. But there's another type of pride, ladies and gentlemen. There is something called covert pride. Covert pride. It is that, it's that kind of pride that, that you might not readily identify as pride, but that's exactly what it is. Covert pride doesn't get up on the table and dance. Covert pride expects somebody else to get up on the table and dance for me. That's covert pride. That it's about me. That it's about what I want. That it's about what I think. That it's about how I think it should go. It's about what, what I prefer. That it's about. That is. Now you might call it. Well, that, really that's selfishness. Or that's self-indulgence. Or that's. You can call it what you want. But at the root, what it is. It's, it's about me. We're coming back to. Pr- and that's what pride is. by Really, at the heart of its definition. Pride is about me. And listen to me, there's no place for that in the body of Christ. Now I know we struggle with it, I, I know it, show, it rears its ugly head at times, but, but that's why Paul in Ephesians and Philippians and, and, and Colossians and, and, in, and Corinthians and in all of his life, he keeps pounding the same idea, same idea, same idea, because you and I struggle with this same idea, don't we? Two thousand years later, we still struggle with overt or covert pride. And Jesus said this, uh, you might recognize this as our theme verse here at Cross Culture Church. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There is absolutely no room for pride in that calling right there. Every day I'm called to die to myself. And when in my life, whether it's here in the church, whether it's at home, whether it's whatever, when I place myself and my desires or wants or whatever ahead of yours, there's no place for it in the body of Christ. Okay. But in the body of Christ, humility is critical in our life. I just encourage you to, to think about that in, in the daily interactions with yourself, with your spouse if you're married, with your family, with your coworkers. Am, am I living out this calling of humility in my life? Am I being patient? Am I, am I being generous? Am I being, that's, that's the calling. And it's not you, by the way, I gotta, gotta move on, but it's not you just trying to be those things. It's the power of God, the spirit of God working in and through you if you know him as your Lord and Savior. His spirit is in you and his power brings the ability. Because quite honestly, some people don't deserve for you to be humble around or nice to or kind to or whatever. They, some people, uh, it's rumored can be kind of jerky sometimes. That's the calling. All right, here, one more idea real quickly uh, this morning. Within the body of Christ, there needs to be, this is really important, reproducibility. There needs to be this reproduction going on of fully devoted followers of Jesus. Because of time, uh, let me just, I won't read all of of 14 through uh, 21 again, uh, um, but let me just read, well, let me see how far I get. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if, I, if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. He goes on, but he finishes up there in verse uh, 21. He says, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Now, I think it goes without saying, but obviously the Apostle Paul is not going to show up with a stick or a club in his hand and beat them into submission. That, that's, that's not the idea here. But as I said earlier, the Corinthians were blowing this wonderful opportunity that they had. And the Apostle Paul, as, as, a, as a father, and we'll get that in just a second, knows that he's got, to, he's got to deal with this. He's got to take action uh, with this. And if he needs to be stern, he's going to be stern. Now, I know that sounds so foreign in the culture in which we live, right? The culture in the how dare you question my lifestyle or my actions culture that we live in. In that culture... This thing called church discipline, which we will get to in chapter 5, which we're not doing next week, by the way. going to bring a Christmas message uh, next week. But when we get to chapter 5, Lord willing, when we get there, he's going to deal with this thing called church discipline. That has all but disappeared, quite honestly, uh, in the church today because churches are afraid of losing members and or, as has been my experience, when you try and and practice church discipline on a person, and we'll get to what all that means, when you you try to do that, they just leave and go to another church because they can as I said, we'll get to all that in chapter five. But listen, can you hear Can you hear how much Paul really, he wants them to get this. He wants them to get this right. He so wants them to get this right. And so after bringing this, this convictional comparison that was clearly intended to strike a nerve in, in where they were, I mean, he, he's, that's not by accident. He says, listen, I, I, I'm not doing this to shame you. That's not That's not the point. That's not my motive. My motive is love. I'm doing this because I love you. And he begins to draw this analogy of this spirit being their spiritual father, which he actually was. Remember, the Apostle Paul founded that church, right? Right? He founded that church. He probably had led most of them to Christ. Spiritually speaking, Paul was the father of uh, the church in Corinth. And so, real quickly, he gives them three steps to move in the right direction to straighten this thing out. All right? Let me give them to you real quickly. First, he says this. He, He gives a plea for imitation. Verse 16, I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. Do what I do. <laughs> now, we might think, wow, that's, that's bold to tell somebody, man, act like me. <laughs> but listen, nowhere does Paul claim perfection. Nowhere does he, does he say that he gets it right all the time. But nobody in the entire world knew the Apostle Paul better than the Apostle Paul. He knew what it was to walk in Christ. He knew the expectations. He knew the, 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 the trials that came with that. He knew the joy and the triumph that came in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So why wouldn't any father want their child to follow in their footsteps if, if they know it's in a direction that's good for them? Why, why wouldn't you? Right? No, 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 no father. No father dreams of the day when their son uh, says to them, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be just like Johnny's dad. No, no, man. If, if you're a father, you want your kids to to act like you. you. You want your kids to like the team you like. You want the kids to have the personality that you hopefully that you hope you have. You want the you want the kids to to be Christ like. If you're trying to be Christ like, you want the kids to 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 have the views that you view, like the food that you like. You, you want your kids to be like you. That's 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 not wrong. One of the joys of of. Uh, being a dad of a, of a son maybe daughters too but i never had daughters so i can't speak to that but one of the cool things uh in in uh in the life of a dad is the the first time that your child uh when you're out mowing the lawn and your child comes out behind you with their little toy lawnmower, walking right behind you uh I- imitating what you're doing I, and i don't know why that's cool i just remember i just think that was cool spiritually speaking paul's saying Man, that's what I, I want you to walk behind me. I want, you to, I want you to live the life I'm I'm living. Now remember how he's just described the life he's living, right? So pretty bold when he says, hey, hey, imitate me. Do my life. <laughs> but that's where it's found, ladies and gentlemen. It's in giving your life away. That's where true joy and contentment is found. Forget uh, not only all the all the rewards and all that stuff that he talks about in chapter E, all that, but this is the life that, that, that he said, imitate me, follow me. Do life the way I'm trying to do it. I'm not perfect, I don't claim to be perfect, but I'm telling you, I've discovered the secret to the Christ-like life. By the way, when he says imitate me, he doesn't mean, you know, like, oh, trying to impersonate him. No, take on my characteristics. Do my actions. Be a follower of Christ as I'm trying to be a follower of Christ. Uh, second step that he gives them is this, a plan for instruction. Please imitate, I exhort you, imitate me. But then there's this, he leaves them this plan for instruction. He says in uh, verse 17, uh, he says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Uh, Probably nobody knew the theological mind of the Apostle Paul better than Timothy. Paul had been integral in leading Timothy to the Lord. He had invested in his life. He had grown in Christ and matured in Christ. He'd probably heard Paul preach and teach a thousand times. And Paul knows this is a critical situation, so he's not, but he can't be there right now. He says, but I'm not leaving, I'm, I'm sending Timothy, and he's going to remind you of these things. And I, by the way, I teach this everywhere, I'm not picking on y'all, that's what he says. I'm not picking on y'all, I teach this everywhere I go. And here comes, I'm going to send Timothy to you, because it's, it's, it's that important that there continue to be instruction in our lives, that we continue to grow. Some of you that I have mentored, a few of you I've had the honor and privilege of mentoring, have probably heard me use this illustration before, but... In the, the Christian life, essentially, trying to follow Jesus in the world in which we live is like swimming against the current. I don't know how many of you have ever had the opportunity to swim against a current, but it's tough. It's tough because the current doesn't, doesn't relent. The current doesn't let up. Now, let me say this. If you are a swimmer, it can, in a sense, become easier. As a swimmer gets in and does his laps every day, his, his technique becomes, his or her technique becomes better uh their cardiovascular system expands their muscles become more toned their uh, their uh, bmi uh, drops down and and so in a sense it can become easier but listen to me it's always against the current you hear what i'm saying you're always going to be swimming against the current in the culture in which we live and here's what i want to say all that's necessary in the culture in which we live all that's necessary to start going backwards is to stop stroking Just stop stroking. And sometimes you're like, oh man, I'm doing, I'm trying to do this Jesus thing, but it's so tough, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. You're not getting somewhere too. You're not going backwards, right? You're trying to advance. There always has to be and ask yourself this question, i got to close, I know, I gotta, but ask yourself this question, How, where am I, am I still striving to grow and receive instruction and not just reading the Bible, I, that's critically important, but am I doing this, am I reading other spiritual materials, am I, am I just having theological discussions, am I growing in this thing so that, so that this, so that my, my muscles get more toned, my technique gets better and I'm able to keep going because the current will always be going in the wrong direction, right? One more. Real quickly, third step, there's a promise for illumination. Uh, he's going to bring some things to light, so to speak. And now what he says, uh, beginning in verse uh, 18, uh, he says, uh, "'Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, "'but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, "'and I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, "'but their power, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, "'but in power. "'What do you desire? "'Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness.'" Paul's been gone from Corinth for a while and division begins to arise. and, oh, I, I really prefer Apollos. so I think Cephas, he's the man. Or I think this, or I, I think that and all this kind of stuff. And so... I'm sure when Paul was there, when he founded the thing, and the two years he invested, or almost two years he invested in the church in Corinth, I'm sure that everybody is like, Oh, the Apostle Paul, man, he's awesome, and he's fantastic, and he, he just does such a good job, and, and he, he's, he cares for us, and he teaches us the Word of God, and all this kind of stuff. But, but now that Paul's been gone a little while, and, and, and you know what you find? You find people operating in the shadows. Probably not a person in this room that's not had somebody in your life. In the light... Talk to you as if you're their best bud. And then later you find out that they've been saying some things about you, or they've been working behind the scenes, or they've been doing something to undermine. I, I probably say there's probably not a person in this room that's not experienced that. Apostle Paul's experiencing that. And the Apostle Paul says, Hey, hey guys, we're going to bring some things to light when I get there. If the Lord lets me come, we're going to bring some things. We're going to find out whether what you're saying is backed by the power of God or whether you're just blowing hot air. Can I tell you this? return return to the parent analogy, that's what love does. When you find bad behavior going on, you confront the bad behavior. That's what any, any of you that are parents or have been parents, isn't that exactly what you do out of love? Don't you confront bad behavior from your children? There was bad behavior going on in Corinth, and Paul says, when I get there, we're going to bring some things to light. We're going to bring it out of the shadows, we're going to bring it right out in front, in front of everybody, and we're going to find out what is what. Those are three steps that, that are necessary for a church to continue to be healthy. Starts with, with just humility, recognizing my place in this work, that I have a place, I have to take responsibility. I can't judge anybody else's work and what they do, but I have it and I have to do mine. What, what my calling is, I have to do it with humility and humbleness and with a desire to put everybody else above me. I know I don't get it right all the time, but you're important than, 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 than me. They're more important than me. That person's more important than me. Everybody's more important than me. I'm dying to myself. And I'm going, to, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to try and imitate those. Don't be afraid to imitate those that you see. They're trying to get this thing right. I'm going to try and emulate their life. I'm going to try and continue to receive instruction and grow. And I'm going to confront bad behavior when I see it. That's what you do to have a healthy body of Christ. Is that what you want? You want a healthy body of Christ? Then sometimes it's necessary. When we get to chapter 5, we're going to see... How you have to confront some bad behavior and why that's so important for our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: It is clear from the passage today that the Corinthians needed to be brought down a notch or two. They were puffed up with pride and their pride was bringing division to the church. Pride is something all of us can struggle with, but it is critical for our relationship with fellow believers and those we want to win to Christ. Paul offered himself as a model to imitate, As Pastor Clay said today, that may seem bold, but as any loving parent, Paul wanted his spiritual children to get it right. Reproducing strong, committed followers of Jesus should be the goal of every church. All of us should choose to live lives that men and women younger in the faith could imitate. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Oh. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.